those of you who are joining us online because you're home and you're sick, know that you were prayed for this morning. For those who couldn't make it in because of the weather, as beautiful as it is to look at, I'm about done with it. How about y'all? Man, I am, I'm over it. I'm good with a little bit of snow where I can see it. It looks good. I would rather have it at Christmas time than in February. I'm ready for, I'm ready for springtime to get here. Flowers to bloom, warm weather to surround us, but we'll deal with it while we deal with it. Man, if you weren't here in person last week, you got a black screen at home for part of the time. I am so thankful for our technical workers in the back that make this stuff happen every week because last week some of them couldn't make it and, and I had the equipment up here trying to run stuff and it didn't go so well. I was drop. I got up here and my iPad hit the ground, the controllers for the back hit the ground. It was an experience for sure. So we are thankful that they're back with us today. Well, this morning we are going to begin a brand new series, Back to the 90s. Now, not to disappoint some of you, or I guess maybe some of you it will be relief, this is not a series on popular songs from the 1990s. They are kind of songs, though. We're going to be looking over the next several weeks at some of the, the psalms from the chapter of the 90s in Psalms 90. So we're going to be looking at some of the great psalms from chapters 99 through 90, um, 90 through 99. We're going to look at a few of those. And in this series, we're going to see how God protects, how God provides, how God delivers. We will see his justice as it's laid out in Psalm 94. We'll see how God is to be worshipped as king in Psalm 95, and we're going to look at his holiness in Psalm 99. But today we're going to begin in one of my favorite passages of Scripture and one of the widely quoted psalms, and that's Psalm 91. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open there to Psalm 91 if you would. Now as you're doing that, I don't think that anyone would say, when you look at the world today that you would say that we see a world that is absent of danger, sickness, or evil. In fact, I would say if we were to look at the world today, we would say it's absolutely the opposite of that. In fact, we're told in 2 Timothy, Paul tells us in his writing to Timothy, that as the day of the Lord approaches, perilous times will come. The last year we've dealt with the epidemic of COVID. Many of us who are in this room, some of you who are home today, in fact, are dealing with it right now, but many of us have experienced the effects of COVID, and, and some, in fact, a lot of us in here know someone who has even died because of the effects of this disease. Yet over and over, people will pull excerpts from this very passage that we're going to look at today and declare the promises within it. And my question is, what happens when you've declared these promises and your desired outcome does not happen? What happens when you quote Psalm 91.10, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. What happens when you've stood upon that promise, declared it to the world around you, and evil does come, and plagues do come to your dwelling? Because you know where it says here, come near your dwelling? In the Hebrew, it means exactly that. It means that no plague will come anywhere close to you and your family. 
So what do you do when you've declared this to the world and the plague does come? Well, I'd say you may have painted yourself into a corner. We cannot pull random bits of Scripture and declare it over our life. Context matters. I say it over and over and over again. Context matters. We must remember everything in the Old Testament points us to the redemptive work of Jesus. This passage of Scripture has been used for thousands of years to bring comfort, to bring comfort in times of peril, as it should. But we still got to be careful how we use it. Used incorrectly, it can lead not only to bad theology, but it can make for dangerous theology that can create an incredibly harmful witness. So as we go into this passage today, we need to start with just a little bit of background. Who wrote this passage? We don't really know. Uh, some would, some attribute this passage to David and some to, to Moses, but the fact is, the truth is, we really don't know who wrote it. We do know, though, as we read this passage, it would seem that people who stay close to God are free from disease and harm. Yet in reality, we know that's not exactly true. People of God do face trials. I just referenced Paul's writing to Timothy where he says, as we get closer to the return of Christ, we will see this in more and more greater frequency. Even in the very early church, we didn't see disciples and apostles escape harm. All but one disciple died a martyr's death. The experience of believers doesn't always exactly line up with this passage we're going to read today. Not the, not the promises that are within it. But as we read this passage, you need to read it with the understanding that it's specifically speaking about God's covenant with Israel. You can see the similarities in this passage, Psalm 91, with the conditional promises laid out in Deuteronomy, which is why many scholars believe it may have been Moses who actually wrote this. Deuteronomy says to Israel, if you do this, then God will do this. If you keep my commands, you will be blessed. It was filled with, with promises that were conditional upon the faithfulness of Israel. And in reading the Old Testament, you will see how God, so you see how as the people of Israel were faithful to God, his hand of protection remained upon them. When they were unfaithful, you will, see, you will see how they were subject to his judgment. And we must, we must understand these specific direct promises here in Psalm 91 were not made to the church, but they were conditional promises made to Israel. If they were made to the church, would we have seen an apostle like Paul, a writer of half of the New Testament, subject to all the harm that came his way? Would we have seen Stephen stoned to death? Would we have seen Peter crucified? So how does Psalm 91 then relate to us? Well, I'm glad you've asked. We must read this passage with the understanding of the promises given to us in the New Testament, under the New Covenant. We must read this passage in light of eternity. 
even though all these direct specific promises may not apply directly to us, you need to understand there are principles that are within this passage that absolutely do apply to us. Some of you are, are, were with us when we walked through the book of Hebrews and how we talked about there are new and better promises under this new covenant. Hebrews 8 says this, He has obtained a more excellent ministry, and as much as he is also mediator of better covenant, talking of Jesus, which was established on better promises. The promises of God's hand of protection over Israel were conditional to their faithfulness. We have a better promise. We have a promise that says he will never leave us or forsake us. Check this out. Under the old covenant, people had to come to a tabernacle or a temple. I know we come to a church, but they had to actually go there to be in God's presence. Under the new covenant, God dwells in us. We don't have to go to a place. He is with us no matter where we are. Which would you rather have? Do you, you want to have to rely on an annual scapegoat? Do you want to have to continually bring a blood sacrifice? Or do you want to trust that there has been a perfect Lamb of God, a perfect sacrifice that has already been given? See, this passage needs to be read in the context of who we are in Christ. Look at the first two uh, verses of this passage. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him who I will trust. The secret place. That, that word secret is the Hebrew word setar. It means it's a place of protection. It's a place of covering. The psalmist opens with this and says we're supposed to dwell in a place that is near God. We are to remain under his protection. In the New Testament, we're told, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And in these first two, two verses here, the writer gives us four names of God. That's God calling right now. In the first two verses, the psalmist gives us four names. But listen, those names are so important because they reveal to us who he is to us. First, he uses this word, Ilion. It's translated most high. In other words, there is nothing higher than him. Nothing in all the world, nothing in all the universe. When we are facing perilous times, we must remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but our fight is against spiritual powers, and we have the Most High on our side. He then says, he uses the word Shaddai, translated here as the Almighty, and it's referencing his absolute power. In him is everything we need. You need to understand it was by his almighty power that he created the heavens and the earth. And by that same power, he not only protects us, but he provides for us. Thirdly, he uses the word Yahweh, translated here as the Lord. This is the name given to the covenant-making God, the God who always keeps his promises, the Lord who is always faithful. 
In the, New in the New Testament, we read of the one who will return upon the white horse, who has the name, the one who is faithful and true. Finally, he says, Anai Elohim, or my God. Here he makes it personal. Listen, we could just stay right here on these two verses all day. He's saying, I'm going to stay close to the God that is higher than any other being in the universe. I'm going to stay near to the one who has absolute power, that can sustain me, that can protect me, that can provide for me. I'm going to stay by the one who is always faithful, by the one who is always true, for he is my God. He's saying, he's saying here in this passage, listen, you may have your gods, but I got a God that is bigger. I got a God that is better. I got a God that reigns supreme, that allows me to have a personal relationship with him. You may have an idol on a shelf or a man buried in a grave, but he's saying here, I have a God that is alive and well and who is working, according to Romans chapter 8, for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things both good and bad, working together for good. If we could just grasp who God is in those four names, you can have comfort no matter what comes your way. If you could just understand He is your source. So many people in life will make little gods in their life. People will make their job their source. No, you need to understand that your job is just a tool. It's simply a tool that God uses to bring provision to you. Your job is not your source. He is your refuge. He is your fortress. You've got to put your trust in him and not in your 401K or your social insecurity. Some of you are not following God's plan for your life because you've put your faith in your 9 to 5 instead of what God has called you to do. Now, I'm not saying you should go home today and, and quit your job, not unless, that God, that, unless that's what God has called you to do. But listen to me, that same God that gave you the ability to do the job that you're doing, that is, that is, that is providing for you right now, is the same God that will open the door of opportunity that you've been waiting for. He's the same God that provides for you through that job right now, and he's the same God that will provide the next job as well. And while these direct promises listed here in 91 may have been for the people of Israel, he is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And I would argue this, that we have even greater access today than the psalmist who wrote this great passage, because today we have that God dwelling within us. In the Old Testament, we read about a God who worked for his people. In the New Testament, we read about a God who works in his people. Ephesians tells us this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The Spirit lives within us. Romans tells us that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that dwells in us. That same Spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies. That's why we can declare, as Paul declared, O death, where is your sting? 
Listen, we are all subject to the same thing. He says in verse 1, though, he who dwells in the secret place. See, John, Jesus in John 15 says it this way, abide in me and I in you. We got to remain in him. We got to stay in that secret place, that place of covering. We need to do just as the psalmist declared in verse number one and dwell in the secret place, the place of protection, the place of covering, the place of closeness and the place of intimacy with him. All those names of God in those first few, those first two verses has not changed. He is still known by those names. They still apply. Why would you not want to have a personal relationship to the most supreme being, the most powerful, the always faithful, the true creator God? Dwell with him in the secret place. Dwell with him in the place of intimacy. Verses 3 through 8 say this. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now, when we read this passage, we got to read it with the promise given to us in 2 Timothy, where it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God protects those who draw near to him. In, in every dangerous situation in life, we need to believe God. We need to trust in him rather than living our life in a state of fear. We don't, we don't have to go through life fearing death around every corner because we know that for us, death is not the end, but it is just the beginning of eternity with Him. We don't have to walk in fear because He is always with us. I love how verses 5 and 6 are so clear on this. The writer makes a point to say those things that come by day, those things that come by night, those things that come in the darkness, those things that come in the noonday will not come near you. What I love about the promise that is within this, that is for us as well, is this. God is omnipresent. In other words, He's always there. It doesn't matter if it's noonday or midnight. It doesn't matter if it's light or dark. He is always there. He doesn't have to go and take a nap. He doesn't leave and go on vacation. He, he hasn't got to lay his head down at night and rest. He has no need for sleep. He is always there. We're told in the New Testament that Jesus, after ascending into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and I can tell you this, he is there right now, and he is interceding on your behalf, always. The battle you're facing, the giant that stands before you, you need to understand the battle. We just sang it. The battle belongs to the Lord. You're not alone in the fight. Darkness, light, morning, night. He's always there and he's always fighting on your behalf. 
He covers us under his wing. That's a place of closeness, like a, like a mother hen to a little chick. They've got them there under their wing in the storm. In the middle of the battle, there is refuge in him. When the arrows are flying of the enemy, the armor of God protects us. We need not fear. So the question is, do you know him by name? Do you really know him? Verse 8 says, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. In other words, the wicked will receive their punishment. Oh, I know we want to see it, don't we? We want to see it right now, and we want to be the one who delivers it. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Paul tells us in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. Aren't you glad that if you're in Christ, that condemnation does not await you? You've got to put your trust in him. Yeah, we do live in perilous times. Yes, Satan is on the move and he's looking to devour. But I'm here to remind you this morning that Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of age. It's why Stephen, while being stoned, could look up to the sky and and say, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You need not fear because you are not alone. No matter what you may be going through, no matter what you may be facing, you can know this, that the Lord is with you. Look at verse 9 through 13. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent shall trample underfoot. In verse number 9, he reiterates what he said in verse 1. He says, these promises of Israel are conditional. They are conditional upon staying in God's presence. He's saying here, though, even when facing plagues, you need not worry if you put your trust in God. This doesn't mean that we won't face disease or trials. Again, some of you are home right now battling with COVID, even today. If that's you, you've got to remember the specific promises in this passage were given to the people of Israel and were conditional upon their faithfulness. We were given commandments in the New Testament, however, that if any are sick, call upon the elders of the church. We're told that if we confess our sins to one another and if we pray for one another, we will be healed. I've seen people, especially over this this last year, use this very passage in in Psalm 91, declaring that the COVID plague will not come near their home. I've seen them declare it only to see COVID do exactly that. You cannot take Scripture out of context and twist it into whatever you want. Satan knows Scripture too, and he uses it as well. In fact, he uses verse 11 and 12 from, pas- from this passage. 
91, 11, and 12. He uses it in Matthew. When, when, he's, when he's out there with Jesus and he takes Jesus up to the high place and he, he says, throw yourself down you, you are, if you are the Son of God. Then he quotes verses 11 and 12, saying, he shall give angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus, of course, comes back with the word saying, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Isn't it funny how people will pull scripture from the very passage that Satan used to tempt Jesus and will quote it while walking straight into danger? And in fact, what they're doing is tempting the Lord. Listen, I 100% believe that God is for us, that he sends angels to protect us, but that doesn't mean we are free to be stupid. We, we can't do things that we know will bring harm and expect God to protect us and bless us in it. Some are living in complete sin and disobedience while at the same time declaring God's promise over their life. No, it doesn't work that way. What this passage means, though, is you are free to not walk in fear of every little thing that might be around the corner. That we must trust that God is truly using all things to work for our good. That we have an eternal reward that awaits us. God's promise to us is he will be with us no matter what trial we face. If you're a believer, meaning you know Christ as Lord and Savior, sometimes we just want the one. I want him to be Savior, but I don't want to make him Lord. Now, if, if you know him as Lord and Savior, then you are trusting in him. And if that's you, you can know that the Spirit of God dwells within you. But remember, the psalmist declared, you've got to stay close to him. You've got to remain in him. Listen, if you re remain unrepentant, God's discipline will come. You can look to Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. You can look to Jesus' word in John 15 about abiding in him. Staying in Christ is the key to God's blessing over your life. This passage closes with God actually reaffirming the promises to those who love him. Look at verses 14 to 16. Because he has sent his love upon me, set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That word love there in verse number 14, it's a word that means cling to, devote yourself to. God is saying that those that are, who are devoted to me, I'm going to be devoted to them. Those who cling to me, I'm going to cling to them. Those who know his name, that word know right there is a Hebrew word that means to come to know through observation and senses. In other words, you know him because of your own experiences. You have seen his mighty hand at work. You've seen his creative work. You felt his presence in your life. You know him because of a close personal relationship with him. 
and you've clung to him. And if that's you, you can know that the one who is faithful and true will be with you in every trouble. He will deliver you. And in him, it says, is your salvation. Our salvation. You see, it begins with us acknowledging our sin. It begins with us knowing that we have a need for a Savior. See, his sacrifice upon the cross, that is truly our greatest blessing. When we come to a place where we can truly understand how great our sin was, that's when we can really begin to appreciate the greatness of his sacrifice, the greatness of his love. And it's then that we truly know him. then that we truly know him in the way that he talks about in the closing of this passage. See, because the more we know him, the deeper our love for him, the closer we want to be to him, the more we want to devote our life to him, the more we want to cling to him. And the closer our relationship is with him, the greater our blessing is because he wants to bless those who love him, who cling to him, who depend upon him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. While every direct promise in Psalm 91 may not directly apply to you, the principles and promises in general do. Because God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still our refuge in the storm. He never leaves us or forsakes us. If we abide in Christ, we need not to live our life in fear of God's judgment. The angels of heaven are still moving and fighting battles in the spiritual realm. And God is our source and our protection. So let me ask you this morning. Can you say you have set your love upon him? Can you say that you dwell in the place of intimacy with him? If you can say that, yes to that, I can promise you this. He is not just for you, but he is with you. Can I tell you, there's a difference there, too. It, it, it's one thing for someone to say that you're for you, but it's easy to be for someone from the side. It's easy to say, hey, I'm for you. I'm cheering you on. I see you struggling over there, but I'm for you. It's something completely different to say I'm for you, and I'm right there with you. I'm walking with you through the fire, through the water, through the battle. And I'm not only with you, but I'm fighting for you. It's a big difference. It's a real big difference when that someone who's for you and with you is the all-powerful, always present, God who loves you and cares for you, who laid down his life for you. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning?